Welcome to Sewer Mutant, the podcast that takes you way underground to discover comics that you won't find anywhere else. Today I'm joined by John Rosella, the creator of the Sunderland series of graphic novels that he's illustrating entirely with woodcuts. Uh, the second book in the series, Solitude, was just published in February. It takes an already weird dystopian future story into some even weirder territories. The themes range from environmentalism to right-wing news networks to hippie communes to conspiracy theories to mind-altering drugs. I don't want to say too much about it for fear of spoiling it, but uh, welcome to the show, John. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, great. Well, maybe we could start uh, by having you tell us a little bit, a bit about your background and how you got into uh, woodcutting as an art form. Uh, well, I was lucky in high school. High school art teacher did printmaking, so he we didn't have a lot of materials in the, in the school, but somehow he had a little printmaking press, and we did lino cuts. And uh, I did this program also when I was seventeen, uh, and there was a, a teacher called Hag Demargian who was a he's a great woodcutter, and uh, he also did a woodcut course there. So I kind of got introduced to it then. And later on in college, I thought I was going to be an oil painter, but my oil paintings are all like muddy and they just kind of mix together and with woodcut that is impossible to do because it's black and white sharp lines all hard edges and so my biggest weakness as an artist in painting was my was not even a thing when it came to woodcuts so I kind of stuck with that for that reason awesome yeah and where was that that you uh that you went to school and 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 learned the learned this uh Kind of like to to my mind, at least in the in the U.S., like it's a, it seems fairly unusual for people to to practice these days. I went to high school in New Hampshire, and I went to college in Minneapolis. Okay, and I, my college was an was an art school, Minneapolis College of Art and Design. So they had a big printmaking program. Great, great. And so then, you know, what what possessed you to do a graphic novel uh, entirely in in woodcuts, let alone two of them? And I think there's a there's a third volume planned right is it yeah, a trilogy the, okay yeah the final volume will be okay uh, next decade <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, well i i had done uh, a big installation in 2010 it was it's um eight foot tall by 35 foot long woodcut and it's a it's like um it's hung up on the interior walls of a room so if you stand inside of a nine foot square room it covers all of the walls and so it's like totally surrounds you in 360 degrees and it was this big weird landscape and there was a lot of a lot of content in it, and I thought it would be interesting to go back and tell the story of how that weird landscape got to be the way it was. So the Sunderland story is sort of the the backstory to this installation I made. And I've always been interested in comics. Like the reason I'm an artist is because of comics. So I always wanted to do comic books since I was a kid. And also, uh, there's a, a long tradition of woodcut graphic novels actually going back at least to the late 1800s, uh, Franz Mazarille, and in the 20th century, like Lynn Ward, Giacomo Patri, these guys were doing, they were wordless, but they were graphic novels, sort of visual narratives, uh, usually about uh, political themes or kind of socio sociological themes, things like that. And so uh, I, I like that tradition, and I kind of wanted to, to do my own take on it. Right. And that's, that was called like the, I think they called them wordless novels, not visual novels, but uh, yeah, something, yeah, yeah. Something like that. Yeah. It was kind of a, a pre-World War II thing if I know yeah. my history, right? But, yeah, mostly. Uh, yeah. Cool. Um, but I, I'm going to 
go out on a limb and guess that those were not the first comics you saw as a kid. Uh, <laughs> no, definitely okay. not. No, I grew um, up on Batman. Cool. Well, yeah. So, but uh, yeah, so like eventually those two passions collided and uh, so that's how we get Sunderland. Uh, so I, uh, were you thinking a lot about already when you were when you were doing the installation about the story and the, and the setting or was it mostly, were you just, you know, seeing the visuals, like just had a vision for it and like the, with the story coming later? The installation was kind of a response to what seemed to be happening in the moment in like the zeitgeist. Everybody was kind of talking about the end times, you know, this was like pre, this was 2010. So the, the 2012, like Mayan calendar ending thing was huge. Mm-hmm. And there was all kinds of that, just a variety of things in the air. You know, I think um, social media was coming up. Alex Jones was becoming well-known. Um, there was, you know, all the religious things like usual, all this stuff was kind of in the air. The The 20, uh, 2008 financial collapse had just happened and, and people were kind of reeling from that. And so all of this end times stuff was in the air and I wanted to make a, a scene that, that was like, well, what if, what if everybody's right? You know, what if all of the end time scenarios happen simultaneously? So everybody is, is right in what they're saying. So I put all of those, like as many as I could find in the installation. And then I thought it would be interesting to kind of take that as a jumping off point to explore a story. So I kind of had the, the, the larger concepts there, but not the specifics. Okay. And so, you know, when you did the first book, um, so I think you had, you had a co-author in the era, Eric Wise. Um, did you and Eric work out like the full trilogy in advance? Like, or like just how much of the story did you already have kind of in the can when you, uh, when you got the large beats, sort of the, the, the big plot points were all worked out. And then it's, it's sort of, um, filling in kind of the, in between the details and stuff. So, Usually if I make a story, I have kind of the beginning, the end, and then a few large points in between. And then it's just a matter of kind of getting finer and finer grained. Got it. Yeah. Um, and so I, I know you've got some some process videos on YouTube, but I was wondering if you maybe could talk a little bit kind of high level about the the process for making these. Um, like, did you, for example, did you have a, a, like a script that you were working from and then do like you know, layouts and sketching or... I had, um, I worked, I worked from plot basically. I had all my plot points and then I, I kind of, I'm, I'm visual. So I drew out like a big timeline and kind of scribbled in all the little in-between events with notes and stuff. And I had some images that I wanted to, to include. So I would, you know, do a lot of sketches and kind of how to get from, from this picture to this picture, this sort of in-between, how to fill in the space. Uh, the script, the script sort of, I guess I work in the Marvel method. It's probably the best way to describe mm-hmm. it. So going after the after the pictures are done and I and I put in the um, the script and the kind of script is a sort of response to the pictures. So it's kind of take the plot, re- respond to that with a picture, and then take the picture and respond to that with the script with the text. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, well, so uh, part of why I was wondering about the like the storytelling process is just, um, like you said like that, that, you know, it started with in 2010 and the world was a very particular way in 2010. And, um, by the time we get to 2022 with the, the newest book, uh, it's, it, 
definitely a very different state of the world. Uh, I would say like there's, there's definitely a, some big things have happened in the last sure. uh, several years. Um, so uh, how much did it, did the story kind of change in response to the way the world has, has, has shifted? Actually, uh, unfortunately, I think that the world became more like the story. Yeah. <laughs> kind of sad. That. <laughs> that, uh, un, un, yeah, not, not so great. Uh, I guess it makes it easier to continue the story, but uh yeah, things have changed and and a lot of the things that I was kind of thinking about back then have become more salient. Yeah. Uh so have you done other comics or are these the only two? Uh I did uh like a digital comic a few years ago that was sort of I was teaching myself how to use Clip Studio because I've never I never done digital art before. And so I, I did that, and I'm, I've done a few comics here with um, a few local artists. So we have a little thing uh, for most of comics. We do American-style sort of comic books uh, here in Taiwan. And I, I've done a couple of, like, you know, one- to three-page little stories, but nothing nothing proper like this. Right, yeah. And when did you move to Taiwan? Was that around 2010? Uh, 2008. 2008, okay. Yeah, very beginning and- of 2008. Yeah, what what brought you out there? Was it related to uh, the woodcutting work, or did you go just to um, you know teach English like so many other people do? Or uh, I I came here for lots of reasons. Um, mostly, I wanted to I wanted to live in another country and experience that. I wanted to live somewhere where English wasn't the the main language spoken. Just just to have that experience. Uh, I I chose Taiwan in particular for a few reasons. I was looking at so I wanted to be an artist. And so I was looking at places where the cost of living was low and the, the work you could get was relatively high compared to that. So I was an English teacher here for the first eight years and you make decent money compared to the cost of living. So I, I only had to work between 10 and 20 hours a week as a teacher and I could spend the rest of the time in my studio. So of all the countries that I looked at, Taiwan had the best kind of the ratio. So I guess it was, it was kind of calculated in that way. I expected to only stay for one or two years, but it turns out that this is the best place I've ever been. So I, I don't want to, um, I, do, I just couldn't leave. Yeah. And you're involved with, um, uh, I believe a museum, a gallery there. Like, uh, like can you talk about that at all? Uh, well, in 2010, I had this residency in this big warehouse called Stock 20. So that every year the government gives out, I think it was 11, they had 11 big warehouses they gave out to artists. And it was this huge space, and I didn't, uh, I didn't need all of it. And there was a lot of uh, artists here, a lot of foreigner artists, like um, Westerners who who are teaching English. Kind of in my situation, they want to experience a different country, uh, but it's a little bit difficult to get into the art scene here, especially if you don't speak Mandarin and if you don't have the connections. Like if you haven't, you know, you don't go to university with the the people who are in the scene. It's hard to sort of get in. And so I decided to turn the front of the warehouse into a little gallery and just kind of showed the art of, of my friends who I knew were artists. And after the residency ended, the, we, we had exhibitions every month at the gallery and it went really well. So I decided to find a place where I could continue the gallery uh, sort of in the front of my studio. So uh, we've been doing monthly shows since 2010. Great. Yeah. And, and, still... and show foreigner artists and, and local artists as well. Cool. Uh, so and I, I imagine that's going to be 
you know, all types of art, not just comics art or no, yeah, everything, or yeah, yeah, all okay. all kinds of stuff. And also, we we've had um, you know uh, live music workshops, uh, classes, things like that. And the gallery is nonprofit, so we don't take any money from the artists because it's artist run. Okay. And how do you think being in Taiwan has has shaped uh, the Sunderland stories? Uh, it sounds like it started while you were there, and mm-hmm. uh, do you think it the, that it changed your your perspective on uh, I don't know on the West or on on the, on the story? Well, it certainly gives you a, a, a point of comparison, like another data point for how a society can be. So when you grow up in in your country, right? You're especially in America, you don't get a lot of outside sort of the the way that other people live in other places is not as easy for us in America to kind of appreciate. At least at least it wasn't for me um, until you go abroad and you kind of see like, oh yeah, things can be like this or things can be like that. So it definitely gave um, a kind of counterpoint to the the culture that I grew up in and it made it um I don't know it it made it maybe the the different perspective made it I don't know if it's easier to kind of pick out things but it it changed my ability to kind of pick out things about the US the the good and the bad right and and the kind of way things are going so kind of um insider outsider or something like that yeah, or or what you're saying there made me wonder about: Does it make it easier to imagine, you know, situations changing pretty dramatically? Because I think that's something that for a lot of people it's hard to wrap your head around the idea of, you know, everything that kind of suburban middle class living just going away and uh, everyone living under a military dictatorship or living under living in a, a hippie commune or mm-hmm. living in a, a survivalist uh, bunker, like all these different kind of, you know, scenarios. Do you think? Yeah, well, definitely like having that kind of like day-to-day fabric uplifted, like, yeah, well, especially here. I mean, as long as I've lived here, there's been, you know, hundreds of missiles pointed at us from across the strait, and it's a very precarious kind of situation. At the same time, Taiwan used to be um, like a one-party dictatorship for decades. And then in the 90s, they kind of switched to democracy. And now they have a really vibrant, free, open society. It's it's remarkable how well they, they kind of made that change. I mean, martial law wasn't lifted until, I think, 80, 80, 86 or 88. And, you know, dancing was, was like illegal here in the 80s. So... To, to have that switch in such a short a period of time, you can definitely see the fragility of systems, both both systems that you think maybe are good and that maybe you think are bad. Uh, they can change. And, and yeah, the stability is is precarious, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Well, I suppose, you know, the, the pandemic has really given people all over the world maybe a, a shock to the system in that sense, too, of just... Uh, that the the day to day life can just be utterly disrupted for unknown amounts of time, but uh, yeah, it it can be hard to imagine, you know, just living in living out your life that well, maybe it won't always be possible to just get in your car and go to Starbucks and order whatever you want, and yeah, maybe uh, everything's going to be closed or there's going to be supply chain problems. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I think yeah, I think visiting other countries and seeing 
living in a different way yeah, definitely opens one's eyes to the idea that things can just be different, like you said. Yeah, and and when you travel, you also see like you you see how well you have it, and and also um, how things could be better too. So I've I've been to yeah. lots of countries, been very lucky. Like when you live in a place like Taiwan, it's it's you have access to a different set of places than when you live in America. You know, if you live in America, maybe you can go to to Canada, to Mexico, or the Caribbean, like the sort of nearby places to visit. And, and here the nearby places are, are just so, so wildly different from one another. You know, you can go to, to, um, Japan and Korea, but you can also go to, uh, Southeast Asia or, um, like Nepal, India, places like that. And really see like, man, we've got it pretty good in a lot of ways, but also there's so many ways that things could be better. And, and you can kind of, I don't know, it, it makes it more, um, more contrast, you know? Yeah. Or just different. I mean, just the, the people have in other places have different values or different, yeah, different definitely priorities, I guess. And, and the uh, things you take for granted are not that way by default. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's... People have chosen to make things this way. Yeah. So it's kind of empowering like that too. Yeah. Both for, for good or for ill in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, um, it's about all I, I had for, uh, for questions. Um, is there anything I didn't ask you about that you think I, I should have asked or that you'd want to, uh, talk about? Um, I guess, well, I, I'm, you asked about comics. I'm, I'm making a proper pen and ink, pen, ink, and watercolor comic that I'm starting just now. I'm working on it with my wife, who's a neuroscientist. And so we're combining our two areas of knowledge. Um, it's going to be a, it's a, like a sci-fi story. So cool. I'm, I'm excited about that. Um, it's a different kind of way of thinking than making a, a woodcut story. Yeah. So it sounds like you, you're not, um, you said at the beginning, like that you had been in oil painting and then got out of it, but uh, mm-hmm. it sounds like you, you haven't limited yourself to, to woodcutting by any means in terms. No, of no, not art. at all. I, I mean, I also do tattoo. I was a tattoo. I apprenticed at a shop here. And so I do that as well, but I like, all the different art forms. I hope, you know, to, to, um, to be lucky enough to be able to, to try them all out, you know, to do something in, in almost every art form. Uh, I think that it's a lot of fun experimenting with different things and learning how to do different techniques. And each of those techniques has, has improved my wood cutting too. So it's kind of interesting how that works. Right. Yeah. Cross training, hmm. I guess. Yeah, I yeah. guess so. Uh, cool. Yeah. Well, is there anything, you can say about that new project, like how far along it, it is, or feel what the... uh, it's in the story stage. Um, we've done some sample pages and we're, we're working out the details of the story and I'm, I'm practicing every day. I trying to improve my pen and ink and my watercolor. So is it uh, neuroscience themed? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's a, a, a good deal of that in there. Um, so like my wife does is, is a researcher and so, taking kind of some of the the concepts and the and the ideas from her field and and mixing them with uh with the art cool and you had joked about you know the next volume will be another decade out mm-hmm. uh because there was i think seven years between the first volumes which is understandable i mean mm-hmm. flipping through this this is uh uh an enormous undertaking um but uh what actually do you have a sense of the the timeline for the next book uh, yeah the actually series? 
so uh, in addition to being kind of about society and the human condition, the each story is, is a kind of a self-portrait as well. So the first volume I made in my 20s and the second volume I made in my 30s. And so the third one I'll make in my 40s. And it was it was intended to be this way, like planned it out. So how how my own mindset and thinking changes, you know, it affects the story and how kind of things are presented. And so I'm, I'm kind of interested just personally in, in looking back and seeing the differences in my own sensibilities. So I want to wait uh, a few years until I'm uh, 40 to start the next one. And okay, I think that's cool. also having that kind of spacing it out makes it, makes it more interesting because things in, in the real world change you know, we'll change it. We'll have changed enough, hopefully, hopefully for the better. We'll see, but for the different, yeah, <laughs> sure. Uh, and so that kind of, I feel like when it's all finished, it'll, it'll hopefully make it a bit more fresh as well. Cool. Yeah. And I can really see a lot of progress between the two books. Um, it, it, it's really interesting to, uh, to look at the second one and, uh, yeah, I actually kind of wish this was uh, a video so I could show show some images from it. But I'm just yeah, just flipping through uh, the second volume, and yeah, it's just uh, there's just so many. I mean, it, it's not that the first one was bad or anything. It's just that the second one is just so good that uh, with just so many really strong images that uh, yeah, it's I, I think it's uh, in that in that sense, I guess maybe you know the it was worth the wait, I guess. Hmm. So, uh, I, I, I hope, um, uh, the third one, you know, I would prefer not to wait, uh, seven years right. for it, but, um, if it's going to be that much better than, uh, number two, than number two was over number one, then, uh, I guess, uh, maybe the wait will be worth it. Oh, well, thanks. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> hope my well, no pressure. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the last thing I'd like to, to ask, I uh, guess, before we sign off is, uh, if, you, if there are any comics that you didn't make that you would, uh, recommend our listeners check out. Any comics I didn't make that I would recommend? Uh, well, just from the art standpoint, I think, um, anything by, by Mobius or Mobius, oh, yeah. however yeah. you say, yeah. um, I, I just got the, um, the Ingle, I just ordered the hardcover of that. I'm really excited for it, but I love his work. And just how how creative his his uh, everything <laughs> everything he touches is. Uh, so that um, yeah, off the top of my head, it's hard to say. Uh, I I just I just got this. Um, it's not it's not a comic. I just got. Um, this book of illustrations by Gustave Doré. It's illustrations for the Divine Comedy by Dante. This is from the 1800s, but they're like they're incredible. If you like black and white art, this guy he's a brilliant illustrator, uh, and and the pictures are haunting and and beautiful, and the kind of all the tones and stuff. Uh, but that's not really a comic book, so I. Well, I mean, there's there's definitely uh, yeah some overlaps in. Um you know it's a form of sequential storytelling like like books like that that had uh that were extensively illustrated even if they weren't you know telling the whole story on the on just on the merits of the of the illustrations the way comics work but uh like we're like you know an illustration for every 
scene essentially mm-hmm. but um oh yeah and, and lately i've been looking at a lot of um it's called space girl by travis charest uh, and all of them are on his website and it's just amazing it's like um it, it's one panel one panel one panel one panel like there's not pages of it but it's a comic mm-hmm. and it tells a sequential story and just the the pen and ink work is it's probably the best pen and ink work i've ever seen and oh, so i've been looking yeah, that's- at that a lot that's the the same Travis Charest that did Wildcats in the '90s. Do you yeah, know? I think so. Yeah, I think he okay, was an image yeah. artist in the '90s. Yeah, um, yeah, uh, yeah. I kind of wondered whatever happened to him. Well, so, yeah, look, yeah, he did uh, find, yeah. find Space Girl on his website okay. it's it's incredible. We'll do. All right, great. Well, I will uh, let you get about your day. Uh, so it's morning in uh, Taiwan right now, and uh, I will be paradoxically going and uh eating dinner now because it's right. dinner time in the uh on the west coast of the u.s so uh, thanks so much for, for me yeah thanks so much for taking the time and uh yeah really uh really dug the books and um looking forward to seeing whatever's next well thank you very much and good talking to you